Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Everyday Nation Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And so it's been quite an amazing journey. I've, I've enjoyed a lot of the messages that... Um, some of the some of the guys have preached Spo and Pumlani and my wife rocked it last week. Didn't she rock it last week? Because she's a rocker, yeah. And um, yeah, and, and Mac and all the guys. And, and it's been really it's been a great journey, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Today I get to wrap it up with a message on discipling the next generation. So we, we're going to change track next week. We've got pastors John and Rona Miller joining us, but today. We're going to wrap it up with a message entitled Discipling the Next Generation. And that's really why I wanted to play that uh, song from, from Maverick City about talking to Jesus. Isn't it a beautiful song? Um, I don't know about you, but like just as a dad, I don't know, that song just cuts me out big time. I'm like, yo, what a, what a beautiful song and, and what, a, what a beautiful way they talk about transferring Jesus to the next generations. The song starts off talking about Granny always praying, you know, then Mom praying, and then he's praying, and then talking. How many of you got moms that prayed and goggles that prayed? Come on, aren't you glad they prayed? Aren't you glad they know Jesus? I know, like my mom prayed me into the kingdom, you know. And and then and then he's got a son, and his son starts talking to Jesus, and that's really what I it just encapsulates what I want to talk about. This morning, I do have a, a quick video from Spiwe in Botswana. Uh, for those of you who might not know Spiwe, uh, he's one of the sons of this house, one of our students from campus who came into ministry and got trained up here as a campus missionary. He's now in Botswana, discipling the next generation on the university campuses in Botswana, and he's been uh, tracking with us through our discipleship series, and he just sent a little video to encourage us. So. Noma, if you wouldn't mind just whacking that on for us. Good morning, Every Nation, Devon family. Oh, he's sideways. It's so good to join with you guys this morning. Just look like this. We've been missing you so much. And we've been tracking with you on, on, on the Apple podcast, you know, just following on the Disciple series that you guys have been doing. And man, this series has been such a blessing, you know. Um, like a month ago, we went out on campus, University of Botswana, where I have the privilege of leading. And, you know, we're just doing evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And out of that, we reach approximately 40-something students, and 24 of that 40-something, you know, they gave their life to Christ. And now what has happened is that small groups, two small groups have been birthed out of that, um, you know, 24 that responded positively to the gospel of Christ. You know, and I just want to share briefly with you how impactful this series has been to me and the ministry that we're doing the side and how grateful I am to be to, to, to still be able to be part of what you guys are doing that side and how much of a blessing you are in our lives you know I pray that you may continue to go out and do the good thing you know remember Matthew 28 18 to 20 says you must go and make disciples it's not about the converts not about the numbers it's all about making disciples that will make it a disciple so I pray that you may continue keep on the good faith and fight the good fight and let the Lord will bless all the that you do in Jesus name be blessed amen isn't that awesome come on guys hey 25 gave their lives to Jesus and now two connect groups have started on that campus isn't that awesome come on praise God thank you Lord amen 
Alright, so I thought to make this message maybe a little bit more relevant this morning, we could do something a little practical. Okay, this might make some of you feel a little uncomfortable and I apologize in advance for that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to separate the generations this morning. If that's okay. So I'm going to ask, if you are over 40 years old, <laughs> we're going to start there. Could you just stand to your feet for a moment? If you're, yeah, I, I, Navasha, yeah, we're going to split some marriages up here. <laughs> over 40s. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Now, I was actually going to get you all to move around, but I'll just, let's just leave it there for now. So have a look around. See the over 40s. Okay. What are we, what are we here? We're, we're maybe, maybe 10%. Okay, take your seats over 40s. Let's, let's see the, the over 25s but under 40s. Over 25 but under 40. <laughs> Aren't you glad to be under 40 this morning? <laughs> Some of you are glad to be under 30 even. <laughs> I'm just checking to see that everybody is really right here. Okay, all right. Have a good look around. 25 to 40s. This is you, okay? This is you. This is your life right now, okay? All right, you guys can take your seat. Can the under 25s please take a stand this morning? Stand to your feet. Under 25s. Yay. Okay. Good to have you guys. All right, take your seats. Take your seat. I was reading some... Some funny things the, the other day. Do you, you know someone is older in life when they sign their texts, text messages and Facebook messages with their name? You know that someone is getting older in life when they get very excited about finding their car in the parking lot. When they get very, ups, they get very upset when young people don't wear coats. They forward internet scam and virus threat messages in earnest. Everybody must know about this. They have parties, but the neighbors never know about it. Their clothes and shoes are chosen for comfort and not style. They're obsessed with turning out all the lights. And they experiment with fonts. You know someone's close to the a millennial when they must post absolutely everything on social media. They are not selective about liking posts because they know how important it makes people feel to get likes. They're in love with their phones to the point where they judge others for theirs. They love the word thing. I'm going to do a thing. Let's do this thing. I love that thing. What a thing. I'm thinking about a thing. <laughs> they also love the word adulting, even when they're in their 30s. Millennials love to act like they are woke, critical thinkers, but they never read any newspapers. They love reporting and, success and documenting when they successfully cook any meal of any sort. The millennials have destroyed language by shortening every word, removing vowels, syllables randomly and mercilessly. <laughs> Two things I want us to notice about the different generations before we kind of get into the meat of this morning. 
One, we are very different. There is a, there is a literal gap between the generations. We think different. We hope different. We do different. We speak different. We dress different. And we feel different. And when I say discipling the next generation, we're going to talk a lot this morning about kids, but I want us to know that I'm not only talking about kids, I'm talking about that group that's just behind you as well. So if you're in the 40s, I'm talking about that 25 to 40 window. If you're in the 25 to, to 40 window, I'm talking about the under 25s, all right? It's not, so it's not just kids. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about kids this morning, but I'm, but I'm just talking about those who are just also just in the group behind you as well. So this morning to start, we're going to go to Judges chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can join me there. Otherwise, it will come up. But let's just pray before we get into the Word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good, but that everything good starts with your Word. Your Word brings life, healing, and direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. We boldly confess in this moment that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Father, for your servants are listening. Amen. Judges chapter 2 says the following. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. Come on, Joshua. And when they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath the Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the side of the Mount of Goash, when all that generation, can you say that generation? When that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation, can you say another generation? Arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then, can you say then? (laughs) That's just for effect. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So, you know, what we, what we see in this particular passage of scripture is what, like, a lot of historians have dubbed as, uh, they've dubbed a saying. It's like a phenomenon that carries on in, in, we see this pattern throughout history. And they've dubbed the saying, like Francis Schaeffer and all these other historians, they've, they've said the roots of civilization are one generation deep. And it's totally true. You know, we could say that the, the roots of, of our faith and our, and, our, and our belief in Christ are one generation de- deep. And that's quite a scary thought. You know, when you look at Joshua's ge- generation, what you notice is they, they saw some incredible things in their life. I mean, they were the generation that saw the Jordan River opening up in front of them. They are the generation that saw the walls of Jericho falling down. Can you imagine seeing that? They're the generation that saw the sun, moon, and stars all stop in its place so that they could pursue their enemies. They're the generation that saw God raining down fire and brimstone on their enemies and destroying more than they could destroy. I mean, that, that's, 
the generation, they saw some powerful things, they saw some incredible things, yet somehow that generation failed to pass on two critical things to the next generation. Number one is they did not know the Lord. They did not pass on a relationship with the Lord. The next generation often did not know the Lord. They didn't have an, and that word know means to know intimately, to have relationship with. They, they did not transfer that relationship that they had to that next generation. Nor did they know the things, the work which he had done. They didn't know the testimonies. They didn't know the victories. They didn't know about the, they didn't know about Egypt and coming out of Egypt and, and, and the Red Sea crossing and the, and the wilderness experience and how God provided for them. And they didn't know the works which God had done, the great things that God had done. They had no relationship. They had no context of, of what God had done before them. Therefore, they had no context for them to live out their faith in their generation. And they were desperately unequipped for the world that they faced. And the result is that they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they worshipped idols. And that is the result if we do not pass on our faith to the next generation. Is that without that relationship with Jesus, without that knowing of what God had done, that gets filled with evil and worshipping idols. If the next generation does not have that. They are ill-equipped for the battle of life. And they are at the mercy of evil. And it seems to me like evil really understands the value of the youth, sometimes more than what we do. It seems to me like evil is pretty organized, pretty focused, pretty determined, very intentional about who they're going after, and they're going after the youth. Sometimes way more than what we are. If you take a look at this statement from Bob Pittman, it says, We don't shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. Founder of MTV. The GLSEN said the following, they said, If we do our jobs right, we're going to raise a generation of kids who don't believe the claims of the religious right. Whoever captures the kids owns the future. So we've got to understand that, you know, if we do not disciple our children, there are some people who are very willing to do so. If we do not see the value of kids ministry and youth ministry and campus ministry and young adult ministry, there are other people who do. And they have agendas and they're well organized and they're funded and they will go after our kids if we do not. Look at how they said that if we do our jobs right, they have jobs. They have funding, they have organization, they have intent. They are, they are going for a vision and a goal with the next generation. And so the point I want to leave with us this morning is this, is that the opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. Can you say that? The opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. Look at somebody and tell them that this morning. The opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. You know, when we're talking about making disciples, youth are the biggest window of opportunity we have to obey the Great Commission. Why? Well, because they are the most open. A Barna stat says this. It says that 94% of Christian, adult Christians made their decision to follow Jesus before they were 18 years old. 
94%. That is a radical stat. I mean, when you look at Jesus, uh, as, uh, some uh, less stats, uh, I mean, there are some more like uh, stats that are not as hectic as that, but what they said was that most people give their, age, their, their life to Christ before the age of 25. Before the age of 25. So before the age of 25, we've got a window of opportunity to reach the next generation. And this tells us something incredible. It tells that if we're going to spend energy, time, and effort making disciples, we've got to go after the most strategic harvest field that there is, which is that under 20 category. So are you feeling targeted this morning, under 25? <laughs> Why is that? Well, they're open. They're idealistic. They're looking for meaning and significance. Look at the words to the song from Coldplay. It says, I'm going to buy a gun and start a war if you could tell me what's What's, tell me something worth fighting for. I mean, this just reflects the heart of the, of the youth today. They want to have meaning. They're looking for significance. They want their lives to count. They, they, want, they don't want to live a boring life. They want something to do that's, that makes them feel meaningful and significant. And we have the gospel. We have the story of eternity. We have the messages of the prophets. We have the, the, the life-giving message of Jesus. We have eternity in hands. We have the reformation of society. We have reaching nations. We have missions. We have so much to give them. And they're ready for it. You know, older people are, are a lot more set in their ways. Older people, would you agree? Hey, you know... I was uh, in our connect group this week. We had Hugh and Julie. Hugh and Julie, why don't you just stand up for a second so we can just see you. Hugh and Julie are missionaries to Cambodia. And um, this week we got to see a little video of, of what they're doing in Cambodia. Now, to give you an idea, Cambodia is, is it 97% Buddhist? 98? Sorry? Somewhere. Somewhere there, over 90%. 90% Buddhist, all right? And, uh, and their strategy in Cambodia is to make disciples is they go into the villages and they start preschools. So they've started preschools where they're reaching children. Why? Because it's a lot easier to teach Buddhist children about Jesus than it is Buddhist adults about children. Give them a hand. You can take a seat, guys. Yeah. So, um, so they're doing an amazing work and kids, all these kids are coming to Jesus and learning the Bible and learning to read through using the Bible. It's amazing work that they're doing over there. But what a great strategy that they've got over there. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way it should go and when they're old they will not depart from it. We could save a lot of time in healing ministries, counseling, and the cost and, and damage from mistakes made if we can reach children and disciple them. I heard this quote from Frederick Douglass this week. It says the following. It says, It's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. I couldn't agree more. I remember being a young man who recently like recommitted my life to Jesus, my early 20s, and sitting in a relationship series on a Friday night at Howard College in this church, listening to how to do relationships right. And I remember sitting there going, why did somebody not tell me this earlier? We could save people a lot of pain 
if we could just teach them the word from when they're young. If we, if we can direct their lives from a young age and teach them the wisdom of God and how to build relationships, how to steward finances, how to build friendships, how to live with meaning and purpose, we can save ourselves a lot of pain. Amen? The opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. You know, if we can harness the energy and the youth and their their um, zestful life and put in them a biblical worldview of life, love, marriage, kingdom, work ethic, generosity, compassion, we can literally change the world by reaching kids. I was having dinner with Brad and Gabs, and Gabs does a lot of work in with. Uh, you can give a wave as well this morning, and uh, and Gabs does is is in an education, and she said something powerful over the dinner table. She said, uh, "There's only twenty two thousand, twenty five, twenty five thousand places in South Africa that you need to go to in order to change the nation." Only 25,000 places you need to go to in South Africa in order to change this nation. Those are 25,000 schools in this nation. All you need to do is go to 20... Can we not get a little bit more organized as the church? You know, can, can, can we not just go, oh, okay, it's only 25,000, let's, let's sort that out. 20, only 25,000, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, we can do that. 25,000, we just have to go to 25,000 places in order to change the whole trajectory of this nation. Just that's where we go. You know, I was, I, I mean, I'm a, like, I love history and I love like studying history a little bit. Okay, I'm a little bit of a geek in that way. Um, but what I find really amazing, one of the periods of history that I'm always amazed at and I'm always reading things from is the, is the late 1800s, all right? From 1850 to, to 1900. And, and in particular in England. And I'm like amazed at how Christianity, Protestant, evangelical Christianity was making so many grounds, like so, taking so much ground in that time. Like in that time you had incredible uh, reformers like uh, William Booth from the Salvation Army. You had uh, William Wilberforce taking ground in the area of slavery. You had preachers like Charles Spurgeon. It was the Second Great Awakening. By by 19, society was being transformed in such a way that mayors, political parties, everyone was at church on a Sunday morning. Like the church had so much influence and power over society. It was a really unique, incredible time in history where, where to be, if you were to be in leadership, you had to be a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian. By the end of the, those, that period, by 1900, England alone had sent 60,000 missionaries overseas. Uh, 10% of the population, the adult population, had signed a pledge to abstain from alcohol, which was a big deal in those days. Okay? So th- there was this incredible reform taking place in education, in human rights, in, in society, in everything. This, and, and I always ask the question, well, like, why? What, what was going on? In that period of history, from 1850 to 1800, what, why was it so, such an incredible time in history? And I went digging a little bit earlier into his, in, in history, and I went to the 1700s, in particular to the latter part of the 1700s, and this week I stumbled upon something profound. Like, I literally, it, it really, it, it hit me so hard. 
I found a character called Robert Rakes. Does anybody, know, does anybody here know Robert Rakes? All right. One of the heroes of history. Like, we should know Robert Rakes, people. Okay? <laughs> you will after the sermon. All right. Don't feel any pressure. Robert Rakes, all right, in 1780. Um, so if you go back to the, the latter part of the 1700s, you're in the middle of, like, the Industrial Revolution. And in that period of time, kids were working in factories. And some of the, like, child labor was like, it was a norm in society. Kids were working in factories and they were working sometimes 12 hours a day and parents were working and conditions were really horrible. Families were being split. Um, there was mass poverty. It was, it was really a difficult time in history for them. And in 1780, Robert Rakes was walking around Gloucester and he noticed Children in the streets, he saw them cursing, gambling, and fighting. They were in very bad condition, the kids. He was horrified, and he asked a local woman in Gloucester, what's the story with these kids? They're like, they're wild. And she said this, she said, this is nothing compared to what happens on Sundays. You'd be shocked indeed if you were here then, because Sunday was the only day that they had off. All right, so every other day they worked in, in, in the factories. But on that day, she said, they behaved in a most unrestrained way. So they had a problem with children in those days. And so in 1780, Robert Rakes got an idea. He decided to start Sunday schools. He's known as the, the founder of Sunday schools. All right, And I mean, there were many others as well doing stuff like this, but he's known as the guy that really got it going. So he started a Sunday school in Gloucester, and in three years, in, in 1780, all right, in three years, it grew to several hundred children. In 20 years, 1800, it grew to 200,000 kids. In 50 years, in the early parts now, we're talking 1830, it grew to 2 million children. One, one person said they have transformed the shape of children from wolves and tigers to that of men. And you know, when I read that, I was absolutely shocked. Could it be that the gains we see later in, in the latter part of that century for the faith and for mission work and reform in society, could it be that the seedbed of that was that somebody decided to focus on the next generation before that? Two million kids. And, that, and that, that started a whole reform process in itself, which led to education becoming compulsory for children and child labor stopped and all of that. But could it be that because somebody had a long-term vision and went and focused on the next generation, that that was the result of all the incredible fruit we see in the latter part of the 1800s? I don't know. If I was going to go and do my PhD, that's probably where I'd go and do it on, all right? I would like to go and prove that, all right? But one thing I do know is like nothing, when we focus on the next generation, nothing will be wasted. Nothing will be wasted. What a way to change the world by just focusing on young people. Imagine like if, if Cambodia is sitting at 90% plus Buddhist, right? Imagine if we had preschools, missionaries leading preschools all over that nation. Where would Cambodia be 50, 80 years from now in terms of those statistics? We could see a radical change in that nation. 
And so we've got to have this view, this long-term view of life and stop living in such a microwave generation where it's all about now, now, now. We've got to think about who's coming after us. What are we putting into them? How much time are we spending with them? Are we investing in them? Are we putting time and energy into them? Because ultimately that is what the future will be. If, if we can capture the kids, we can, we can change the future. So would you repeat that statement that I had up there? The opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. All right, thank you. All right, I want to leave you with another uh, point here this morning. However, all right, I want to give you a quote from George Bernard Shaw. And he said the following. He said, youth is the most precious thing in life. Too bad it has to be wasted on young folks. <laughs> what, what did he mean when he said that? Well, he meant that the youth are a challenge. The youth are like, you know, they're, they're difficult. You can't really get them to sit down. You can't really get them to listen. They don't want to behave. They want to do other things. They don't want to do, like, toe the line. They want to be naughty. They want to, too bad it has to be wasted on young folk. Is that, you know, young, how many of you, if you could rewind the clock, knowing what you know now, would like to be a younger again, hey? Knowing what you know now, yeah. You know, because I said, you know, I remember sitting in that, in that, in that moment where, um, where I, was, where I was learning all this information I was about relationships. And I was like, why didn't somebody tell me this earlier? And then I had another thought and thought, well, because earlier I wouldn't have listened. You wouldn't have got me in here. <laughs> you know? It would have taken a lot of energy and effort to get Wayne Sandeman to go sit down and listen to that same message. You know, but as I got a little bit older, you know, it got a little bit easier to train me. All right? what, what is... What, what do we see here is this, is that the challenge we have with the next generation is massive. Can you say that? The challenge we have with the next generation is massive. I've got another quote for you, which I've got lots of quotes for you this morning. One quote for you. I want to put this up and I want you to guess who said this and when. Children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents, they gobble their food, and they terrorize their teachers. Who said that and when? Come on, somebody take a guess. Give me a date. Yesterday in school. <laughs> when? No one want to venture out. Throw out a year for me, somebody. 1750. Whoa, whoa, somebody knows their history really well. Come on, give, give you a hand here. Actually, Socrates said that in 426 BC. <laughs> we are not the first generation to have challenges with the youth. <laughs> All the parents are feeling comforted right now. Socrates said that, people. All right? He feels your pain. All right? <laughs> so.
So what I want us to know this morning is that we have such a massive opportunity with them, but the, the next generation is also a massive challenge. If you've gone into our high schools or, or junior schools, you will know exactly what I mean. I mean, when, when uh, the Dignity Project were out, I got to go into the schools with them. I was amazed at like how wild kids are in school. I was, I was literally like, praying for those teachers, man. I was like, I walked out of there with such a new respect for teachers in government schools. I was like, whoa, big ups to you guys. The challenge we have with the next generation is massive. But here's the key. I want you to know this. The challenge is not with them. It's actually with us. What do I mean? Well, it's easy to blame the next generation for being lazy, uncaring, unruly, rude, obnoxious. You know what I'm talking about. Children today, they just don't listen. They just don't care. They just don't sit still. But that is what they are. I doubt there will ever be a generation that comes out the womb that is well-mannered, ready to obey, honoring, and ready to live the truth. They have to be trained, taught, mentored, coached. It's a messy job. It's full of disappointments. But somebody has got to do it. <laughs> Look at these words from God in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. It says the following. And these words which I am commanding you this day shall first be in your own minds and hearts. Then you shall sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. God wants us to focus on the next generation. But God knows that it wasn't going to be an easy job. Look at what he, it requires of us. Sharpen these words. First, make sure they're in your mind and heart. Make sure you've got this thing living. It's in your heart. You're living it, all right? Then sharpen them. Make them penetrate. Make them go in easy. Uh, Teach them. Impress them. Look at the word diligence in there. Talk when you're at home, when you're walking by the way. I mean, this is talking about, you know, organized time, energy. This is talking about intentionality. This is talking about focus, initiative, This is going to require creativity, persistence, patience, unwavering belief. This is, you know, we can't just sit down at the dinner table. I got to come with the strategy. This is like the kids are coming home from school. I can't just let them get stuck on their devices. I've got to have a plan for them. You know, this is talking about weekends coming up. Where are they going to spend their time? I can't just drop them at the mall. I can't just drop them at so-and-so's house and I don't know what happens at so-and-so's house. This requires me to think about their life, think about their organize, make sure they're going into the right places, making sure they're reading the right things. This is what scripture is requiring of us. The challenge is not with them, it's with us. The reason why the next generation isn't getting raised up is because we got so much else to do and we're tired. (laughs) It's a lot easier just to drop your kids at school and hope that somebody will do the job. Or drop them at kids or youth or something like kids ministry or, or youth group or something and just hope somehow they will catch it all. 
You know, we so often use the illustration of the baton. You know, when we talk about the next generation, how we have to pass on the baton to the next generation. If only it was as easy as just passing on a baton. (laughs) You know, imagine if we could just give our kids a book to read and that would sort it all out. Imagine if we could just send them to a camp and they would come back discipled, full of the Spirit of God, well-mannered, honoring, living with intentionality and focus and purpose. You know, that camp doesn't exist. Such a book does not exist. There are no shortcuts to character development. And real, authentic spirituality can actually not be taught. It's more something that is caught and transferred than something that is actually taught. In 2 Timothy 1, uh, Paul said this of Timothy. He said, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. The what? The genuine faith. It was first in granny, then in mom, then in Timothy. This is, talks about a genuine transference to the next generation. This is not something that you can just learn in a classroom. If our kids never see us on our knees, reading our Bibles, hands lifted high in worship, in church on Sunday morning, making disciples, opening up our homes into hospitality, bringing people around our dinner table, reaching to the poor and needy, how could we ever expect them to do it? You know, if we want a nice garden, if you want a nice garden, one thing you don't do is just throw a bunch of seed in there and go, I'm sure it'll work out fine. No, if you want a nice garden, it's going to require time. It's going to require energy. It's going to require intentionality, focus, initiative, creativity, persistence, patience, unwavering belief. Amen. The opportunity we have with the next generation is massive. But the challenge we have is massive as well. It's going to require us to be more intentional. It's going to require us to think about them more. It's going to require us to know about them, to know what moves them, what shakes them, what their hopes are, what their dreams are. It's going to require us to listen to their music. It's going to require us to be so, not to be so stuck in our generation and listening to our kind of stuff and doing our kind of thing. And to actually cross that big gap and move into their space and try and understand how they're thinking. And what are they, what are they hoping in? What are they dreaming in? Today I want to leave you with just three keys to unlocking the hearts of the next generation. Very quickly as we close this morning. Three keys to unlocking the heart of the next generation. We do not, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of? Power, love, and a sound mind. Love, power, and a sound mind. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and of a sound mind. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I want you to know that those are three keys that he has given to us. He has given us a spirit. All right, His spirit has come and lived within us, and he has given us a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. And those are three keys to the next generation. 
What do I mean? Well, when you think about the people that impacted you most when you were growing up as a teenager or a university or as a young man or woman in business, who are those people? Was it not the uncle who slipped you sweets? Was it not the auntie who always had something baked and nice and ready for you? Was it not the teacher who took an interest in you, in your life? Was it not the business person who took the time to mentor and coach you and phone you and find out how you're doing? Love opens hearts. And and in particular, it opens the heart of the next generation. So I want to ask you, church, this morning, is there a young man that you know of that's about to get married and you know what that's like? Or is there a girl starting university and you know what that's like? Is there a teenager around you right now that just doesn't look happy and you know what that's like? Is there a mom struggling with small children and you know what that's like? Is there a boy being raised by a single mom around you and you know what that's like? I want to propose to you today that you have a lot more to give than you realize to the next generation. A lot more. Just requires us to see them. Just to see them. I want you to know that you've been given a spirit of love. That's what Jesus gave you. And when you look at the next generation, just love them. Just look at what what you can share with them. Who can you make an appointment with? Who can you sit down with? Who can you encourage? The second key that unlocks the heart of the next generation is power. And I want us to know this morning that our faith, is not just good philosophy, people. It is the power of God unto salvation, and it's the power to live right. And the next generation, what they need is they need an encounter with the power of God. They need to meet this powerful God. And I want you to know that that power resides in you today. And that you can transfer that to the next generation when you lay hands on them, when you pray for them. Listen, pray. I, one prayer that Trish and I are praying over this next generation right now is in Joel chapter 2, which says, Lord, you said that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh and our sons and daughters shall prophesy. The old men shall dream dreams, but the young men will see visions. And we are praying over the kids' ministry that's happening right now, the youth that are upstairs, the youth groups that meet you on Friday night and all over the city. And we are praying, God, pour out your spirit on this generation. Let our sons and daughters prophesy. Let them encounter your love. Let them be overwhelmed with your love. Parents, I want to encourage you, let's pray for our kids every morning to have a power encounter with God. Let's look for opportunities and spaces that we can bring them into, whether it's in worship, whether it's in prophetic presbyteries, whether it's in youth groups, where we can bring them where they can meet with God and have that opportunity. And if you, if you don't, can't see any of those spaces, I want to encourage you to create them. 
You know, just, just last year, we sat down with some parents who were concerned about teenagers, our teenagers. And we said, you know what, we are worried about what they're getting involved in on weekends. And lockdown has, has locked down the church in many ways, and we're worried about what's happening Friday nights and stuff. And so as parents, we got together and we said, listen, let's do something. Let's get them on an alpha course. That, that group has now grown to over 100 kids. And kids are getting saved in there. Kids are preaching in there. But it was just because as parents, we got around and we said, you know what, we just don't like what's happening on Fridays with these kids. We can't just keep this thing going. Let's just get together and do something. And something happens. And so that is our responsibility, is we've got to create those spaces for the next generation to have power encounters with God. Lastly, a sound mind. Love, power, you've been given that spirit of power, and a sound mind. All right? A sound mind. What do I mean by a sound mind? Well, youth have questions. They want to know how things work, and they want to know why things work. And so we need to have answers. Our faith cannot be airy-fairy. Oh, I just believe in Jesus. Why did he die? I, I'm not sure. Find out. <laughs> Find out and teach it properly. Find out and make sure that they understand salvation, redemption, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God that comes through faith and by grace. Make sure they understand that word grace. You know, we, we cannot leave these things up to chance. Make sure they understand. If they do not understand their faith, if they're not able to grip on it with reason, with, with understanding, they will lose it when they go to university and somebody starts talking about evolution. My father-in-law arrived at university kind of having some sort of Christian upbringing and he learnt about university. In university, he learnt about evolution and he walked out of the class saying, oh, religion is, is, is hocus-pocus. It's a bunch of rubbish. Only later on in life, in his, in his 50s, when my wife... Uh, brought him to Bible school, did he start to learn that there was an answer to evolution? That evolution is just a theory. That there's also there's a creation story, and the creation story is highly scientific as well. There is a whole lot to back that. We're not just like hoping and maybe something God, you know, when he said, let there be light. And so, there, there's, there, there's a lot to our faith. That it can be backed up scientifically. That can be shown historically. There's, and we've got to have answers for this next generation. Amen. Otherwise, they're going to get to school and learn about stuff and come back and think, well, what, what, what's this Christian faith that I'm... You know, they get, they're going to get sucked into the gender debate and get discipled in a particular direction if we do not have an answer for God's unique design for gender. They're going to get hurt and, and confused and, and aggressive or whatever about racism if we as a church don't have an answer for racism. Racism is not a political problem. It is a sin problem. It is there in the Bible. All right, We can see it multiple times throughout the New Testament. We see racism there. And God deals with it in the Word. And, as, and so we have to make sure that our faith is, is a sound mind, is reasonable, is logical, that it's answering the questions that are coming up in society. And we've got to give them that so that they can have a defense for the world they're facing today. Amen. All right, I, I want to close this morning. You're welcome just to stand on your feet and, and we're going we're gonna to pray.
Discipling the next generation is a massive opportunity, but it is also a massive challenge. And into that challenge, God has given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Let's make sure we're transferring that to the next generation. Amen? Can we, can we close in prayer? Father, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. What great worship. Thank you for your word that brings truth and life to us. Lord, as we leave this morning, I ask that you would bless this congregation. Lord, I ask that your mercy would be upon us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and empower us so that as we go through this week, Lord, we can, we can take that time and energy and we can look out for that next generation that's just behind us and how we can empower them. Lord, may we be a church where we are stewarding a generation after us that is on fire for you, Lord. We pray for your blessing on our kids' ministry, teachers, our youth workers, Lord. May they know how special they are and may you in particular empower them. We speak about Spiwe and Botswana and our other campus pastors here in Durban. We pray that you empower them for the job at hand, Lord. May you be honored and glorified as we steward the next generation in the way that you want us to. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Give the Lord a hand. Bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Make sure you meet someone and greet someone. And uh, don't forget your kids in kids' ministry. (laughs) If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I believe this moment is for you. The Bible says in John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So often we think we need to get to a place of being perfect for God to to save us. Or we need to work and do things for God to find us busy. But I believe that in the Bible it is so clear that Jesus is the Savior and not our works. So this morning I'd like to lead you in a prayer of commitment, one that is bold and one that will save your life. Um, So if that's you and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can repeat this prayer after me. Father God Almighty, I come before your throne of grace and I confess that I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life. I want to live according to to your word. I pray that Jesus Christ, you will come into my life and you will save me in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, I'd like to say congratulations. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.endurban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.